we got held up by gunpoint and I was in my pajamas and the guy came in. Do you know what they stole? Six bottles of milk and $25. I couldn't believe it. We would like to acknowledge that we are on stolen Yagara and Turbul lands. And as settlers of color, we reflect upon the damaging legacy of colonization. Always was, always will be. Hey, it's Dylan, and this is Creator Tales from Kudju Creative. Today we sit down with David Raja Lawrence, a drum and bass DJ and mixed media artist based here in Mianjin. We find out what the mixed heritage diasporic experience was like for him in three different countries. And what I enjoyed about this conversation was that we got to challenge each other's comfort zones. A content warning, discussions of racism here include the use of racist slurs in the context of retelling experiences and examining internalized racism. My name is David Raja Lawrence. Creating content would be probably mixed media art, um, being a drum and bass DJ, so music but not producing it, just mixing it. So far. Uh, so far, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, turntablism. So mm. the art of turntablism, I, mm. I would like to say that I can, I, can, I can do that. So that would be something that I wish to curate to the world. Right. Um, involved with, obviously, the drum and bass DJing. So, but creatively, that's pretty much what I'm trying to do in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, to get sort of to a point where I can then, you know, play my music to, to people. Right, right. Mm. And... So when people hit you with the inevitable "Where are you from?" question, where do you even start with that? Well, it's it's a it's a lovely tale. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, mm. um, to a white mother, British, and a Malaysian Indian Air Force Colonel father. Um, massive Indian family. So that was the first eight years of my life. Right. Didn't know anything else. Right. Um, lived on an Air Force base. So still a little bit different to the norm, right. but I just knew culture, food, being a Malaysian. Uh -huh. um, traveled to England because of my mother, um, then traveled to America because of my father, and then settling in New Zealand. <laughs> right, so I'm a Kiwi. With family still then? Um, so both of my parents have passed away, sadly, um, rest in peace, mm. um, but my sister is still in Christchurch. Mm. So yeah, I reside in Brisbane with my wife, Adeline. Um, who's French? No, I am not good at French. I'm practicing, <laughs> um, failing. But anyway, so that's the story for here. Um, but I've been living in Australia since 2008. Right, right. Struggling. <laughs> Australians. <laughs> um, and you mentioned turntablism for the unin uninitiated or the people who perhaps like myself think like the think that I've got an idea of it. Well, how would you describe it? Uh, turntablism is basically the art of maneuvering and utilizing turntables mm. to create your own sound. Um, basically, uh, there's a, a DMC or Disco Music Club founded in the, in the UK. Um, that is the World Championship Turntablism event. Um, so if you would like to see anything that is turntablism, start with that. Um, it will give you an understanding. Okay, okay. And so, so that's a like a competitive format, like how, how I might uh, like I might liken it to like a world beatbox championship. Hundred percent sort of or UFC, same thing. Right, round, round, <laughs> round robin tournament. The, the the best the best mofo wins. You know. <laughs> right, right. 
And so as you were arriving into the parking area opposite the studio today, um, which is located out the back of my large share house, but detached, uh, a friend of a housemate asked me, because uh, you rocked up in a van, if you're a courier or a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I must admit, when, when you rocked in, that the the image of something about the large white van as well like it 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 is it is an image that i have seen couriers sort of driving in but like that's a that's a thought for me and a thought i held on to but (laughs) but just the typical (laughs) response from white australia like is that a courier van (laughs) or is is this guy just making like a six-point turn no but that's the thing i didn't come in normal like a courier i came in hot and then tried to maneuver and it was all confusing he even got in a car and drove (laughs) So I didn't make it the conventional courier experience for her. <laughs> right, right. But that's something that you do you do see here. Yeah. I mean, it's systemic, right? Mm. That that sort of um, racism that you don't. I've got a I've got a black friend justification. The the same sort of attitude that they treat eth- ethnic people yeah. from every kind of different minority. If you yeah. look different, you are different. Right, right. Um, but at the same point, equally, there's heaps of good people, right? Or as they say, good cunts. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's. That's the trade-off. I've been here since 2008. I haven't left. I'm mm. an hour away from each coast. It's a beautiful place. It's getting hotter. There's more people here from Melbourne because of COVID. Mm. But it's a great place to be. Um, the only thing is that there's a systemic stuff that is hard to translate. It really is. You know what I mean? I, I talk differently than the usual Indian, if you will. Mm. I dress differently. Yeah. I spent the most of my life in New Zealand trying to make myself a white person. Does that make sense? The whitewashing. I'm just totally trying to fit into this thing. Right. So then after being in New Zealand for a while, I went back to Malaysia. I didn't fit in there either. Yeah. Because I was different again. Right. So this key didn't lock. It just, you know, this thing didn't fit in either place. Yeah, yeah. So, and that exact existentialism crisis I found here, seriously, it was pragmatic the second I got here. Right. And then you see the stereotypes and you go, holy moly, I understand why they're like this not justifying it by any means but you, do you know what i mean yeah you can just see these these stereotype tropes i mean it's lessening now mm. in this woke culture um we'll get to that later right but that's that's basically how i see it from my lens right as an ethnic person um trying to get through australian life it's fine for the most part but then you know we had that moment at, at the that gig where we just saw white people with dreads right and we were like wow there's not one eth- we were the ethnic people there's two brothers working around us you know I, I had I had this this sort of moment of clarity at this drum and bass gig recently where particularly the early crowd that was arriving were um, light skin white presenting uh, a lot of people rocking dreadlock hair what was the moment I think I, I said here we are like two brown fellas dressed in i think it was active wear, active wear and, and, and then, wearing baseball caps and here are a bunch of white folks wearing ethnic wear and dreadlocks yeah it was <laughs> it was it was it was eye-opening really because i've never been to the sunny coast for an event like that before yeah and so just seeing that was very different the, yeah. the, the vibe was different too yeah yeah um, a lot of fun mm. but very different yeah one of yeah. the other things I, I, I sort of expertly noticed was that the space was very different too and it had a different dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, the fitness people would really 
really unique individual. Yeah, because it was like a, a warehouse party, a sort of off the books private yeah, warehouse books. party that was held yeah. in a space that's usually fit, for fitness and movement. 100%. And, and, and don't get us wrong, this was a night that we enjoyed. We danced like right into the wee hours. but There was lots of dancing. It's, it's, it's because that we're interested and invested in these spaces that we're also trying to think about them critically, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. But there were many criticisms for the mm. evening, right? Mm. That we had throughout the evening. Yeah. And yeah. so, because I didn't drink, I had sober mm-hmm. beers. Yeah. And you know I, what I, mean? I don't drink in general. Exactly. Yeah. So it was basically just hydrating and having a good time. Mm. So my eyes were open differently to being an absolute mess, like I usually am. <laughs> um, so that was, it was fun. But just being there, you know, meeting new people, having conversations. Mm. Um, but yeah, we were the, the two Brown brothers. <laughs> we really were. And I think that dichotomy as well because I'm used to just going to drum and bass and being with people who like drum and bass mm. I never really take that hey I'm a black guy there or a brown guy there yeah you know what yeah. I mean but uh, or I'm an ethnic guy there mm. but this event it was really obvious right you know what I mean I, I stood out and also a lot of them weren't drunk right they were it was like they were they were having drugs but expertly used Right, right. You know what I mean? Okay. So they yeah. were all really on the way, yeah. but in a different way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. 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 So, um, you know, I was in the bathroom. Oh, I'm going to have a microdose now. Where, where else would you hear this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so it was, it was also, I'm waiting in line and people are talking about what they're actually doing. Mm. And they're, you know, I don't want to sound all, you know, um, expert on my criticism, but basically they were enjoying drugs at a higher level in my opinion. Hmm. So they were understanding what the drug would do to expand whatever consciousness they feel, but they weren't really messed up. Right. You right. know, the conventional, you see everybody drunk or you see everybody having too many ecstasy pills or something like that. Right. That evidence is really easy and confound to see, right? Mm-hmm. But these guys were all still awake and high functioning, but on a different level. So that was interesting as well. Right, right. Yeah, and it's an interesting culture for me to observe as well, having spent time in lots of lots of doofs so that's like that's trance music or electronic music festivals if you're not in the australian context um and those scenes being quite quite involved with with taking taking psychedelics taking other things everything um Um, yeah the doof scene's interesting isn't it yeah and so from a sober lens yeah how is that for you well so, so something that's that's interesting is like i'm often there with being part of the doco crew and um and it's doco crew employed by the festival so anytime there's some sort of like trashy scene or any of this sort of stuff going on it it doesn't make sense to be filming that because it'll never get used in an edit yeah, yeah however yeah. if you came under the under the uh lens of like say vice or like you're coming in with a more journalistic lens mm-hmm. um which is something that my my filmmaking colleague johannes uh, who's from austria always wanted to do he wanted to come in like a bit more on his own steam yeah, and yeah. cover um what is the proper name for it? i think like pill testing is one aspect of it but harm minimization i think is the is the the broader broader container that, that okay. he wanted to cover and he had this really interesting perspective of uh pill testing was always legal like he grew up with it he, so you would take your take your pills to a festival and go to a little booth have them tested and then they go oh no these are uh, like yeah, don't yeah. take these and they're like okay cool and throw in the bin I'm not sure people understand that that's available is it available here? not, not in Australia yeah right? yeah right. I mean Australia Globally. why would they do that yeah <laughs> yeah and, yeah. and so he, he found it quite quite strange that that, that this was the culture here that, 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 that the, the kind of risk taking element was 
amplified by the lack of that service and but yeah. also the the what what is that i mean it's it's a drug right it's an illicit drug trying mm-hmm. to get it mm. i mean they've legalized marijuana here to a point but mm-hmm. still um that's something that i see a lot now my entire office are on legal marijuana use right you right. know what i mean like yeah. it's it, people were, were put in jail like two minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's Largely, just, uh, quite often black and brown people. 100%, 100% right. for doing something that they, was, you know, they need money, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's incredible. Mm. I mean, my wife takes the, um, the oil, mm. helps her with her nickels and pains and bits and pieces. So that's, that's a positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, all the people that I know are on it for whatever pain or yeah. whatever. So it's a legal thing and it's quite the norm now. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? So. Yeah, it's great Great to see that progression. And I think um, there's countries like Portugal where you, you hold up their, their model on decriminalization and really kind of makes you take a hard look at <laughs> how things work elsewhere. When you took us into your sort of dot point life history there, mm. uh, you came to New Zealand and you came to Christchurch. No, I came to Auckland first. Oh, Auckland first. Yeah, so I landed in Auckland. I went to Papatoi Central. Okay. Um, it was really close to Manukau and Manukau City. <laughs> People know, know, know Auckland. Okay. Um, and there's a, a theme park called Rainbow's End. So we went there as well. Um, very culture clash. White mum, Indian kids. So my sister and myself at uh, primary level, mm. literally. Mm. So, you know, very different. And not a lot of racism. Like almost, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. It, was, it wasn't until sort of 12, 10, 12, where you saw a little bit of anger or angst from white, specifically white sort of older boys. Mm. They'd go for that ethnic kid, et cetera. Right. So that was that mentality. Yeah. Um, high school was fine for the, for the end part. I'd been with these idiots for five years. <laughs> so I knew them all. But on the entry, third form would be 13, 14. Um, Christchurch at that point was the skinhead capital. That's when it got serious. So Auckland to start, got through to mostly primary, then to Christchurch, finished into uh, end of primary, intermediary. So that means primaries till like eight, then eight to like, oh, sorry, uh, intermediate is 11, 12, and then high school is 13. Right. So primaries before that. So, um, yeah, definitely. Christchurch cemented the racism because it was like the, yeah, it was like a, there was a band called the Fourth Reich. Whoa. Right? So a gang. <laughs> and we had, you know, the mongrel mob, not up, not, we had black power. There were bike gangs and Maori gangs, et cetera. So it was pretty. Rival. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there was Did a. Did you say band? Name? Gang, gang, gang. gang. So okay. it's like gangs, right. you know, like motorbike gangs, um, like the Comancheros and stuff like that. Okay. So. Yeah, that was prevalent. You didn't. It wasn't like gangland violence and TV shit, but yeah. basically you had like a house, like a gang house, big wooden fence. Yeah. You couldn't see it. It's on the street. Right. All right. Same with the, the, the Fourth Reich. They'd have some property, big steel thing with barbed wire, and they'd drive a specific kind of car and have shirts that for Fourth Reich, big swastika, shaved heads, just, you wow. know, walking around. But like it's, that's the thing. And then, you know, you get the, the occasional hay, sort of negative brown joke, but toast, you know, go back, dot. I never understood go back. Where am I going? Do you know what I mean? So, but then you grow up with it. So it's just a, a thick skin. Hmm. I find it funny now. And I do utilize humor in my, I guess my 
my responsing. Yeah. And sometimes I also use stereotypes. So I, I get in trouble sometimes because I'm being racist. Do you know what I mean? So my wife checks me a lot hmm. because I'm quite westernized. Some of my mentality, which has to be untrained, is negative. Is that like the sort of joking in the work context and piling on on another random minority? Oh, just just the, the usual the usual stereotypical shit, you right. know, like yeah. just the same white stupid jokes. Mm, I mm. use that in my repertoire because mm. my circle of friends who are the same age yeah. make same fun jokes. Right. So it's normal for them. So I had to, to check myself mm. a few times mm. um, because as we progress in life and we get older, cultures yeah. change yeah. and racism has to change. I mean, what culture really frustrates me, but um, it just... I don't understand which, which culture woke culture right so yeah. everything is you know it's just it's ridiculous it's just circumnavigating you know mousetrap like oh I, I mean I'll tell you a story about a, a white workplace and I'm one of the own, only ethnic people I made an ethnic joke to a friend white colleague about going to 7-Eleven two white people turned up and said oh, that's offensive you can't say that I didn't know how to react he vanished and so I had to reverse why were they... And that's not punching up or down, that's punching yourself. Yeah, I'm giving sort myself just to shit. Clarify, yeah, I'm yeah. allowed to, man. Yeah. I can do whatever I want to myself. <laughs> like if I'm, you know, depreciating myself, it's fine. Or I'm calling another who are the same ethnicity. Yeah. Um, I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just, it was weird. It was also enlightening. Um, people are taking responsibility for other people's cultures. When did that happen? <laughs> Why is it happening? Yeah. Um, but again, if I if I take my white person mental track, mm. making jokes, uh, you know, how I how I would speak to women, mm. how I would speak to other other cultures, mm. am I being offensive to you? Um, is my repertoire of jokes appropriate? There's a lot of self checking. Mm. Um, but as well, when you're an adult, you start to grow. Well, you're supposed to grow. You know, there's some some periods there where you don't. Mm. Um, but then there's a lot of periods of either fast or slow. Development is something important. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've it's it's a hard sort of fine line sometimes, especially being an ethnic Westerner, if you will, mm. because I'm an Australasian, if you know, as much as it gets. I have the same humor. I have the same, you know, understanding of the the history, the jokes, etc. So mm. coming mm. into this new environment and meeting you was a revelation. Just. <laughs> Honestly, because you don't meet people like you often. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I don't. Right. Do you know what I mean? I, I and just and the circle of friends. You know what I mean? Like the food. Who knew? Um, I'd never met other people that were like that. So, throps. Um, I met Dylan at a drum and bass gig, and the first interaction was that, "Hey, um, I never seen a brown brother do drum and bass." And my response was, I've never seen a brown brother up front dancing <laughs> to drum and bass, <laughs> except for me. Um, so, uh, no, it was, it was really, it was, it was a fun evening because we got to just connect instantaneously on yeah. ethnicity. Yeah. And that's been a long time since that's happened. Right. So, right. you know, because there's a lot of, and Australia's very clicky in nature with their friendship circles, which is fine. I don't know. New Zealanders seem to be more accepting or, you know, culturally open. Um, so that was a bit of a bit of a shame here but yeah i think my op opening line which we, which you were quite like knowing you now you were quite sort of primed to be to warm to something like this but it was something like i think i said who the fuck are you yeah 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 <laughs> so, pretty much who the fuck are you <laughs> who like, the fuck are you i've never seen yeah, a yeah. brown dude play drums. <laughs> 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 oh 
<laughs> which is great much like um how Siki was describing a few episodes ago like it's just nice to just be able to just insert your character 100 into, into 100%. first interaction with someone it's and just, just see how it goes and it was natural it yeah. wasn't forced it was just sort of yeah. okay here we are but that was a good night and that's the because i stumbled upon that gig just on the way home i just heard a bit of like a little bit of you know that the sort of filtered sound when you hear like the the track goes next door sort of I heard like some filtered filtered drum and bass and and the front side of the venue was closed so I had to like roll around to the back side of the venue there's people milling around milling around the outside and then I go inside there's more people milling around but it's an empty bar and there's like one speaker playing drum and bass and there's a few guys kind of like with their drinks just just bopping their heads but it's like really empty and weird yeah and I have to ask them like wait how when does this happen oh once a month and i was like but who's dj and they're like oh it's downstairs and then i go downstairs to the dark basement and and move through this um dark dimly lit doof scene of a crowd and then come to the front where there's like this dj booth cage thing and behind it is you (laughs) is a brown dude with a beard playing drum and bass yeah it was (laughs) and that that alone that's that's basic that's amazing to do yeah that was amazing to do because that was literally my first gig as a as again as recon. Hmm. Because I started when I first got here, I was just playing out. I was, I was playing every support act when I got here. I met some cool people, um, Kim Delahaye, who is still currently playing. Yeah, she was doing junglets, so I literally had a good chat with her one one gig, and then she just put me to work. I was on every support act. <laughs> Dave, you want to play? Dave, you want to play? Dave, you want to play? Right. So that scene was burgeoning and it was great. It was basically, um, it used to be like 10 people in a corner bar, um, the step in, and it grew to the full bar, the corner, then basically the, the back room, then a, big, a bigger venue, then a bigger venue. I think we had Andy C and Friction in like 2010 and 11. And then it kind of just sort of dissipated. It was still around and there was other productions like massive still kind of and they were biscuit factory beforehand right and they were putting on gigs sustainably for a while and continuing and then they became massive and so their success has been that demographic and it's grown and grown and grown um so i and i played a massive gig and that's a big deal Mm. apparently if you're Mm. if you're a support dj here um so I, my journey was to come back and go, hey, I, can I still rock a, rock a party? That was the brief. Right. That was my, why do I want to go do this again? Because for years, it just the turntables had stayed at home on gathering dust, nothing. So, um, and I started playing basketball, funnily enough, playing it back <laughs> to basketball. Um, all of the guys were, D, were DJs, drum and bass DJs. And so I was just like playing basketball with drum and bass DJs. And then we'd go off practice and micmac, Michael McFarlane, um, he's the founder of Rewind um, and the gig that uh, Dylan and I met. So he was just come over practice in my area. Cool. Mm. So I do that on a Sunday and then we'd go mix. And it started with 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Very quickly within a month. Mm. And then one of the other guys, Ross, who you've met, said, hey, come, come over to mine and just have a jam on the digital stuff. Okay committed myself went over there familiarized myself with the tech understood the tracks okay had a mix starting and from scratch starting from scratch from vinyl all the way well i've used digital software and you know cdjs etc right but primarily i've just used turntables mm. so mixing learning turntablism it's all on turntables mm. um i never really mixed out 
using the digital format. So once I finally did have this, I, I completed it. I had it in 20 minutes. And then I was off to the races. Um, when I showed you, that was literally within six months. Right of, right, of starting the journey. Yeah, so you were introducing me to the more production level of controllers, whereas I had only had a background in the the very basic kind of laptop controller. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, a friend of mine, Maya from the Honey Trap Sound System down in Sydney, says that that's um, like a primary uh, barrier for 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 women and and diverse folks in general. I would imagine from getting to that, that club level of being able to play, being able to get into the clubs, being able to get into a festivals. And she encourages everyone in, um, in that scene to, to learn CDJs, learn the USB drive workflow. And that's what you were introducing me to. 100%. As well. And it changed the trajectory of what I was planning for my birthday party because I was, I was a few, few weeks um, ahead of my birthday, I think, when we met. And... Uh, I was trying to make something like a little sofa sounds, like a little cute acoustic gig. And then the cu couple of people that I wanted to ask, they were touring or away. Like it wasn't really going to work out anyway. And then just took it in this whole <laughs> DJ production uh, level. I've leased that that uh, XDJ controller up there. You had a good set. Yeah. And uh, I really <laughs> enjoyed playing. It's, 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 it's quite, it's, it's going to be interesting though, transitioning from that to other things. I have played one wedding since, a friend's wedding, but um, it is a fun thing to just say like, this is my body, this is my tunes, you will dance. <laughs> and, it, and it worked in that context. But now I'm hearing that there's a request for the Brown Brothers. There's a do. request for the Brown Brothers. What does this even mean? So I don't know. One of my mates asked me, he messaged me and he goes, Hey, would you and your mate, the other brown guy, <laughs> I was like, What? Want to play a set? And I went, Okay, what is it? And he didn't give me many details. He just said, Would you would you two drop some beats? Yeah. I said, Okay, well think about it. I mean it's obviously after after Christmas and New Year's, but right. There's a request for the Brown Brothers. <laughs> it, just, it just tripped me out. So, you know, I thought I'd, I'd advise you, but I have no idea of the details yet, but that's just hilarious. So, I mean, you know, because the drum and bass scene in Brisbane is good. Mm. There is a healthy scene here. Right. And so, you're right. I'm probably one of the only ethnic people to, to spin, you know, right. here now. Yeah. Um, there's other, I mean, there's like some other people doing, like the champion sound people, mm. right? They're, right? They're ethnic as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a there's a one of the producers is a turban wearing individual. Okay, right. Um, I think it's the MIDI sound system. I'm not too sure, but there's some diversity there. Mm. You know what I mean? And that sound clash was dope. Mm. Um, not much reggae for a reggae fest. Oh, the Mianjin Reggae Festival. Yeah. yeah did yeah. you hear any reggae? <laughs> uh, I was hanging out at the drum and bass stage. Exactly. On the, on the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but. Well done on the council for putting on a, in a free event. Yeah, yeah. Could have been done 10 times better. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. I'll plan <laughs> it for you. And I will get some punters along because it's a perfect location. Yeah, yeah. And if the council just goes, all they need to see is some dollar signs. Mm -hmm. And you could put on an incredible day, free day, family friendly, friendly, friendly yeah. um, event. Yeah. And so, but I just don't understand why. It's a bit more, I mean, they, they had a competing day against Shapeshifter. Mm. Put Shapeshifter on the bill at the Minjin Festival. Right. Watch the. It's, oh. Yeah, it's it's good to sort of have those critical discu discussions and have that that sense of 
improvement and suggestions and refining things. Um, myself, I mean, you, you festival a lot. You go to things I, a lot. I have a f- events management, festival management background. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, you go I, to events. Yeah, I, I, uh, I enjoy when I'm at an event and I can just turn that brain off when things are handled and things are sorted. 100%. Um, Hard I, though, yeah. isn't it? To turn uh, it, off? it can, can, yeah, it can be. I think if I'm, if I'm, if you, if you, you got me dancing, then, then that's good. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. When you, I guess if you're ethnic, you just think more in depth about things. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that, you know, and, and often white like, people don't do the same. Well, but it's, it's often coming from a space of like having to do extra emotional labor all the time or like, like think about things and experience things on multiple 100% levels. 100% levels, yeah, time. from their level, your level, the yeah, other person's yeah, level. Yeah. How is everyone feeling? Yeah, yeah. You're just constantly busy, Taking right? Taking like all the microaggressions in. Yeah, and definitely. And feeding it and, and, and processing it. Mm. I'm not a Terminator. Mm. <laughs> um, but impo- emotional intelligence is hard. Yeah. It's, it takes work. Yeah. And that's something I have struggled with 100%. Mm. Um, so, but living in a white space, you just use coping mechanisms, you know? Yeah. You know, usually it's depending on, I, I dance music is my coping mechanism. Because <laughs> um, I haven't had as much fun than the last, like we've literally been seeing each other at gigs and going to gigs. Yeah. And I've had fun. Yeah. My, my spirit levels are up. You get to dance out your... Yeah. I mean, notwithstanding that, you know, just the, the musical journey again, getting mm. back into that sort of, that, that area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played Friction at Massive mm-hmm. and that was huge. So the self-validation of I can still rock a party was just paramount. Right. Um, and that gig went off and I can't, I can't even describe the feeling because basically a demo that I'd done, I sent to a promoter and they said, here, have a gig. So, and that's not your usual experience of how things no, work. No, not at all. <laughs> right. So the, the the challenge I set myself right um, was after mixing for a while, going, "Hey, go get a gig." And if you're zero, how do I get a gig? So within Brisbane, there's a couple of open deck platforms. Yeah. One being Diffuse Studios, run by Jai. Right. Um, I went there. It's a it's a really terrible format. <laughs> you got open deck from six to seven, and then three feature sets, and then maybe open deck from nine to ten. Right. Or a bit later. So if six people turn up, that first hour is two people. So the other people have to wait. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit... If it was an open deck forum, I mean, I'm not disreputing Jai's methodology. Yeah. That's his, it's his thing. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad to be able to have done that. But I would have just had the whole thing open night. Right. He's charging you $10 to get in anyway. You know what I mean? You, and so everyone gets charged, even the DJs that are jumping up. 100%. Do. Because it's a studio space, you're using the equipment. Right. And so from a financial and business point, I get it. Yeah. But from a, I just want to start and where do I go, it sucks. Yeah. I pay $10, I may not even get to play. Do you know of another model? No. Right. There's no other place. And, you know, for that price, he's giving you that opportunity. Mm. So props to Jai. He mm. gave me two open nights. I got there straight away, mm. played half an hour. <laughs> two people um, I felt bad for the guy before me because he played this trancey set and then I got up and just smashed it for half an hour of hard DMB <laughs> at five o'clock you know in a studio space the second the second time people were sleeping on the couch in front of me I couldn't believe it I was double dropping heavy stuff so people were yawning oh it's just anyway the, but you get you get this platform where you get to utilize the equipment CDJs Studios um, sound, yeah, and it's really good sound. You've you've been to that studio, yeah, I have, it's a yeah. good sound, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And if you're a learner DJ, hmm. um, okay, I'm I'm home mixing and I want to go and have a jam. 
get on this because it gets you practice. Mm. So I did that. Two, it's called, it's called uh, the Friday knockoffs, right? Diffuse Studios. Right. Um, if you want to go along, get there at five. You, you're guaranteed a spot. It's a weekly thing. No, it's a monthly thing. Okay. Right? So it's called Friday Nights Knockoffs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go and see GI. And if you want to rent it out, head up Diffused. Um, hit them up on Facebook. That's something that you could definitely utilize. Yeah. And that's something I recommend you can do. Um, because if you can't afford the equipment, and you can't afford the time, you know, what are you supposed to do? Mm. Go to your friend's place who has it? That's not really, you know, you want to practice, you want to buy equipment that you can practice with mm. and then test yourself on a, on a, on a proper rig. Um, anyway, so I did that twice, two months, cool. Then I got asked back for a feature set. So, you know, it's open deck night and then feature sets. Mm. I was a feature set. Mm. So <laughs> that was the one where people were yawning. Anyway, um, I, I had my set recorded. Mm. Um, I planned it. As in loosely, smashed it, had a great time. Cool. Yeah. I had a demo now, right? Mm. Oh, I never had a demo before. <laughs> well, okay. Sent it to everybody. This is my mix. What do you think? Yeah. Um, had some good responses. And then Alex from Massive, um, I hit him up and said, hey, just check it out. And he goes, I was a vibe. Gig of friction. You want it? Done. Back to back with Corey, aka Corrupt. Um, Corey Russell, um, another Kiwi. Right. Another soldier of the drum and bass scene. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, we went back to back at Friction on a massive night. And the experience from the triple drop gig where it was, what, 15, 20 people? Actually, no, it was a bit more for that. Yeah. Um, I got all my workmates to come along. Um, <laughs> but in that bunker scenario, a small space, it's full. Yeah. yeah. In, in the Friction gig, it was a long club, which was then f packed, right? right? So, I got on, opening track, looked up, three people. Head down, you know, next track, 20 people. Next track, half. Third track, it's full. <laughs> Lightning. It was just incredible. Boom. And so just to play my sound, play drum and bass, play my passion to people that were like there for drum and bass, I dropped one of the oldest school tracks I've got, like a pendulum track. <laughs> I've got video of it. It went nuts. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to be egotistical. It's just yeah. like, hell yes. Yeah. I'm so proud of that. I got to play some people, like music to people like, you know, they, they you are, really. You, you were hungry for this. Oh, I wanted, I wanted to play the stuff. Yeah. And I used to do it. Yeah. And it was so, I was so passionate about it. Yeah. Um, you can hear me. Rah, <laughs> drum and bass. But, you know, the opportunity of life, the rest of it, you know, you've got to find a space for it. But yeah, um, va validation, complete, mm. done, you know, mm. bucket list. Full I, circle. I went back. I rocked it. I'm, I don't have to worry about it anymore. They know it's on video. I've yeah. proven my factor. Yeah. If they have to question my validity. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the next step is now to write a tune. I want to produce a, some music before I die. Um, late in the game. <laughs> just late in the game. But um, prepared with a background, you know, to, and knowledge to kind of bring to it. Yeah. And I think and a few of my friends in New Zealand who are also DJs and moving into production and having some success. So I'm keen to kind of collaborate. And so, yeah, it's been... um. And just connecting with, I got to sit down with Friction and talk to him for about 30 minutes. I asked him like in-depth questions. And I, it so was- this is the touring headline Yeah, artist. yeah, Friction, the headliner yeah. for that gig, yeah. Okay. And so I asked him a lot of stuff and he was retorting, you know, how do you know all this stuff? Yeah. Like, you know, what's the, and I said, I've been following your career for a while because Friction to me, when he first started DJing, that's how I DJ. It's a very battle style you know, early, two early 2000s kind of 
in your face drum and bass mixing style. And right. combine that with turntablism, that's where we are now. Right. Right? And I had all these records. Funny thing, one of my mates brought the same record for, for him to sign. He asked me to do it as well. Because I brought a record for him to sign. And right. he goes, hey, can you get the... We had the exact same record. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was an incredible experience. But just the knowledge of drum and bass is what I feel so passionate about. I love history. I love the music. It's been something that I've lived with. You know what I mean? And so um, I guess roots from DJing comes from, from music. Right. Original music. So mum was a music teacher. I regret not learning piano. I can't, I can't believe it. Same, yeah. She was a piano teacher. I didn't even <laughs> learn any of it. An idiot. Um, but she did, yeah. she did pass on music so I can read music. I okay. play drums. She pushed me in that aspect. All right. She's also a very good artiste. So mm -hmm. I get my artistic side from. Yeah. Um, stiff upper lip though, that lady. Um, <laughs> amazing woman. Uh, loves a good whiskey. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's just trying to figure out how to get that artistic nature and what I can bring to the table out there. Mm. And that's the awakening. Right. Just like yourself. Drum and bass, you sh I showed you where to go. You had, a, you had a ball at your birthday, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So you were just like, I need to, I need to do more. <laughs> it's just this, you know? How, yeah. do you, how do you stop it, the creative flow? I mm. did a piece for Ross for his birthday, spray painted. All right. The first time I'd spray painted in, in years. So I did a piece, um, came out really well. He loved it. Again, just bang. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it used to be irregular. I used to go to gigs, practice music, because you had no life. Went to work, you drank beers, you mixed, you did art. There was no commitments. Mm. You know what I mean? But life takes over. Mm. Marriage takes over. Mm. Two Alaskan Malamutes take over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, employment, rent, all those adult things. <laughs> the van that can, that took, that took some time and effort, but so good. Mm. Uh, Dylan and I went to the, the, the Sunshine Coast in, van, in the van that can, Luigi. Um, Fiat Takato, we've had it pimped out with a double bed or a double bed frame, fridge. Yeah. Um, and we have enough, another mattress underneath for the dogs. <laughs> Dylan was the, the dog mattress guy. It was comfortable though, right? It was, it, was a, it was a great little doof drum and bass remote crashing vehicle because I didn't know, I wasn't sure yet how I was getting up there or <laughs> where I was staying. And then, and then you came up with, with both of the solutions. It was wonderful. <laughs> Had a little brown drum and bass duo yeah. road trip. Road trip was fun. Road yeah. trip was fun. Mm. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good to just have a chat with another ethnic person. Yeah. And on that, on that drive, you were telling me a bit more about your Christchurch period and the music scene. Can you take me back to that so, story? Let's go way, way back. Mm. Way, way, way back. There was a club in, the, in Christchurch called The Ministry. Mm. All right. So... The ministry was the place to play where you have drum and bass. It was a terribly designed bar, but it was an epically designed bar. Mm. The floor wobbled and <laughs> like, there's so many nights. But basically, you, you lined up like the UK. They have massive lines in the UK, right? So we were right. uh, so, sort of used to seeing these music videos and you know videos of the UK drum and bass scene, which it was founded there. Um, you know, and so basically Christchurch then became another hub. So every artist came to Christchurch to play their drum and bass and test music. For a period into the 2000s, um, it was just 
literal every name artist you can imagine was in Christchurch. Do you know how that, how, why that happened? Like, um, honestly, I they, they were coming for a long time, but I didn't, I wasn't aware until sort of late. 1999, 2000, um, you know, and I was, I wasn't even really in it at that time. Um, I knew of drum and bass, but I wasn't, I was not turntable. I was mixing hip hop, mm. you know what I mean? On CDJs uh, at clubs by that point, because when I was in high school, I played jazz drums. My feet couldn't keep up with my hands. So I just, and I was lazy. So I gave up. Um, but then I found electronic music. So then I bought a mixer and I had two ghetto blasters with CD players and I was mixing off two CD players with a Newmark Blue Dog mixer and my talents were asked for. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> I DJ'd like, you know, how 18 set halls. I had a couple of studio with PAs this with this setup. <laughs> I was playing, I was just playing dance hits and all sorts. It was ridiculous. <laughs> hey boy, hey girl, you know. Um, just, but it was that and then, and from there, I got an opportunity to learn you know, properly taught a DJ at a, at a club called Coyotes. Mm. Um, Carl, who's back in New Zealand, Special K was the, was the resident there. And he taught me how to mix. So I'm this 18-year-old kid in Coyotes with all my friends who are 18 just drinking because Carl knew everybody and just like, yo, whatever these want, drink, drink, drink. So I'm up there for a good couple of hours learning how to mix in a club environment. Very <laughs> with young. With your entourage. With my entourage. <laughs> hilarious. So then I held residencies in the so the Christchurch had a strip right where there's heaps of different bars so I held residencies there playing I was being a DJ right while studying for my degree um and well I did two degrees but anyway the main thing was that's where I learned the craft and also the the residents had side hustles where they were doing 21sts bar mitzvahs weddings <laughs> uh, weddings um you played a few of those oh my goodness um <laughs> It, but that's where you all the tropes of DJing are at their, those events. Mm. You learn your craft. You learn how to read a crowd. Mm. You learn the pro, the pros, the cons. Mm. And I, I can play Britney. No, um, you know, just <laughs> that sort of stuff. And then just some messy people. And then you know, people have requested this specific genre of music and how to you know transverse, how to part of plan a night. Mm. You know, Gen genre hopping. Just just DJing, yeah. learning how to DJ because mm. I think that's a lost art as well. Is actually mm. playing to a crowd. Um, if you're an artist, they're there for your music, great, but still play to the crowd. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, that whole aspect is, is intrinsic to DJing for me. But Christchurch is a kill or be killed area. <laughs> Seriously, when it mm. comes to drum and bass, the fierce warriors. Um, so you grew every, up on that thing. I grew up on this. They were angry people, <laughs> <laughs> but passionate about drum and bass. And yeah. so, okay, so after DJing, you know, at clubs, being a resident, I went to drum and bass gigs again and I, was, I found turntables. So I lost jobs, girlfriends, friends. <laughs> but for a year, I learned turntables. I committed to it. And at the end, I could mix and I could mix well. So then once I had that power, but everybody's got that power. Everybody's a bedroom DJ. So you get this shot, you know, the mythical shot. Now, if you don't maximize that shot, you're back down to the, the bedrooms, right? <laughs> and that's the way it was, right? Yeah. Because everybody could mix, but you had to have a good night on your shot. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to play both the front and back bar of ministry. Mm. So I got to fucking bring it, right? But everybody had their shot. There was a DJ competition where a 14-year-old smashed it. He won it. <laughs> what? He had to have his parents or his brother come in with him. Like, it was ridiculous. Anyway, the level of talent is insane, you know, and, but they're all really hard 
It has to be that way. I feel like we don't really, like I'm recently enjoying a lot more sort of British drum and bass and dance culture meme pages. And it just feels like it's on another serious level there. And Christchurch sounds like it's also on that level. And I don't really see that. No, well, because Australia has a very muted understanding. Everybody's very scene-based. You know what I mean? They've just come in and they've kind of adopted this, what they think it is. Yeah. They're not a someone that's been through it. Um, if you've been through something, anything, you, you understand it. Why? Because you've been through it. It's not ego. It's not you trying to bravado. It's basically you've lived it. So from that, from that point, that I've lived drum and bass. And the good thing is I lived in a period where it was, there was a plethora of drum and bass, of artists, of music, um, everything. That I, I use it, this analogy a lot, one analogy, but I say the top 10 of every genre. There's this, the cream of each genre, right? I'm equally happy listening to Nailhead. You know what I mean? Um, or what's, what's that? It's a heavy metal, very heavy metal band, right? right? Okay. Sepultura, like oh, yeah, right, Machine yeah. Head, you know, okay. or yeah, yeah. You know, Guns N' Roses, Akadeka, or Mozart. You know, I have this, I love every kind of genre. Mm. My mother is to thank for jazz mm. and orchestral. Uh, my dad, you know, Coltrane, Davis. Just, right. Just bam, that record for sure. Mm. But so that musical creativity is what sets me apart from everybody else. Because I always have this influence of music, but the way I mix is very different. Do you mix in keys? Depends. Mm. Depends on the journey, right? And then the more you do, the more you can go on a different genre. Right. Um, I'm not saying that everything is for me because it's not. I couldn't last more than an hour on some heavy pots and pans D&B. <laughs> you could have a lie down. Too much noise. And again, like five hours of liquid, I'll be asleep. Yeah. But within context, you give me like 20 minutes of a liquid, banging. Come into like a breakbeat, upbeat, sort of into some pots and pans. Booyah. No one does that. Tell me about pots and pans. So pots and pans is like the real heavy, hard, more than neuro, like heavy metal, ruthless, right. just evil, nasty stuff. And that sort of like metal vibrating kind of sound? Like oh, the, depends. Like mm. Dylan, Robin, Chaos, SPL, Lime Wax, you know, that real vicious, scary stuff. But okay. again, and I've done gigs purely on that sound. Okay, and I appreciate it. But it, I'm, you know, I don't need to do that now. I get it. But I think um, that's that whole, you know, Christchurch is so heavy. They've had everything there. Mm. So they just understand it. Right. Because artists come there to, to play new tracks. Is Concord Dawn from, from there? Well, not, I'm not sure it's from Christchurch, but it's definitely the South Island. Well, no, no, actually, no, Concord's Auckland. Right. Um, but yeah, and Upbeats are Wellington. State of Mind, I think, is Auckland as well. Mm-hmm. But um, all those three are still doing music, mm. and it's incredible. Um, and yeah, we lost... Uh, a soldier, Jay Mons, Bulletproof. He passed away recently. Um, R.I.P. Jay Mons. Um, I, I was lost. I've known Jay for a while. Um, I used to always see him at gigs. Looked like the staunchest man in the world, but the loveliest teddy bear to talk to. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of history of drum and bass there. There was a festival called Fat, um, which ran from 05 to 011. I'm oh, sorry, to 11, I think. Um, and it was New Year's. I went to many of those events and that cemented, I think, South Island is having a really epic scene. And Christchurch, that with the ministry, my goodness. You know, Goldie once famously said he went to, to the ministry and it was just like nothing he'd ever done before. Noisier played and triple dropped. 
people had to vacate the floors too much. <laughs> it was too much. Um, Dillinger turned up and he, he didn't bring his, his sound system, but whatever he'd had or whatever he played on, heavenly mercy. Um, yeah, so just, you know, like, there's an, I mean, there's a, there's a famous shot as well because Dose is one of Christchurch's named drum and bass producers who's come out of Christchurch and um, Valium Express, has, has, that, that was an epic hit. It'll go down in history. Um, he's in Brisbane, by the way, now. Um, there's a shot of him partying at the front of the ministry with, ba- with DJ Bailey playing. Now, those that know D- like drum and bass, DJ Bailey, Soul Thunder, you know, like his, he is one of the pioneered drum and bass DJs um, and icon. So there's Dose in the front row loving it and Bailey playing. If that picture can sum up drum and bass in Christchurch, that's it. An entire crowd of people just loving it. A DJ loving it too, watching out. At the, you know, like from time and time again, crowds love artists. But to fundamentally sum up Christchurch, that's it. And it's a kill or be killed environment. You know, if you're not good enough, back off. And I think that's also something that I frustrate with mm. modern uh, DJs. Mm. Because they're not as hungry. Well, forget hunger. Just um, I was having a discussion with um, Matt Parker, Schizoid, about this. If you're the best person for the job, shouldn't you get the job, regardless of gender hmm. or race hmm. or whatever? But then there's this new demographic. You have to have certain people from certain things. Okay, cool. I'm not opposed to that. But shouldn't they be the best person for the job? That's the problem I have. And also, if these people are the best people for the job and I'm paying to see them, why sometimes do they suck? Because I've paid to see some people suck. Mm. Why is that? Why are they getting lauded? Why are they getting the opportunities? But what is the... Where do you think then, so in the gaps between the open decks and the $40 gigs, is there a space in between for development there well it, of, of course of course but, what who, are those but who's gonna do it and where are you gonna i mean you know, so who's, there's not there's spaces. no space there's no space there's an open dick and then that's it you fed to the wolves that's it yeah. there's a competition called your shot recently um liam from trigger fingers um won your shot so now he gets to go play at a festival props to, to liam um filthy phil hmm. but I, I i just i wonder about your shot because there's all these people that have gone to this school, right, to learn DJing, and then they compete in this competition, yeah. thinking they're going to be a DJ. That's their job. And then they finish your shot. There's, there's nothing. What do you do afterwards? They haven't been shown how to progress or, you know, do what needs to happen. I come from a background where it was, okay, have a jam, catch up with people. That social aspect of it. It's no mm. longer the thing. It's Instagram likes and who follows me and... You know, how much Facebook time do I give to an event? Yeah. So more and more you'll see artists advertising. The promoter doesn't do anything. I, I think I've seen a few sponsored posts for individuals, your shot campaigns yeah, yeah. or things like that. Like stuff yeah. like that, you know. So basically the the DJ or the person promoting themselves in the event mm. is more likely going to get the gig or the engagement. So has life become an algorithm? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And that seems like it's been a big part of your struggle of, um, I mean, for me, I see it as like a storytelling gap. Like here, is it 20 years of history you have? Basically, I'm 42 now, just turned. Yeah. So, you know, 1980. And the thing is, if I look at it, my 
period of life has crossed over all these benchmarks. Like 1980, you know, 1990, 2000, you know, here we are now. Mm. A lot of stuff happened during that period. Right. I remember seeing Michael Jackson on MTV. I mean, yeah. Die Straits was the first song I remember from MTV. Right. You know what I mean? Whew. I want my MTV. Did you get it in Malaysia? Because I didn't. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, we yeah. did. Okay, on well, the Air I, Force I Base. I right, watched Who right. Framed Roger Rabbit on my little mini TV on a rattan couch <laughs> with my mum and my dad trying to keep me awake because it was like 11 o'clock and I was a kid going, there's no way I'm staying up. But yeah, my, my childhood from Malaysia was really terrifying. I, that, I was really energetic. But on the base, there was our house, and then at the back was jungle. There's no fence. It's just jungle. I, I didn't know any better. On the round of the back of it was basically eight big trees, rambutan trees. Hmm. You mean you can look up, and there's a massive canopy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was really intense. I'll get, I'll get some photos, and I'll show you. But yeah. Malaysia was just tripped out for me, um, running around as a kid naked in rain because it rained. Playing, right. playing football with my cousins in the backyard uh-huh. next to jungle, you know, <laughs> playing Lego. <laughs> my parents found that Lego calmed me down because you can imagine me as a kid. Right. Crazy. Because military bases were just plonked anywhere kind of like. Yeah, it was just like this from... sort of area where they'd built housing mm, for mm. families of Air Force people right. next to the base. Right. You know what I mean? So it's a barracks as well. And it was weird because we were living on the base in a house and then dad would sleep in the barracks. So it's just weird, but that's how you understood, that's how I understood life. Mm. Um, but yeah, and then coming to New Zealand where it was in a house setting, very different, um, a vehicle, like a station wagon, because I don't remember seeing station wagons, I was always in RVs or like in those big trucks. Yeah. Yeah. And my childhood was going to air shows because dad was in the Air Force. So, and his brother, so to me, my dad was, you know, Maverick and his brother was Goose. So I had my, you know, Maverick and Goose. Because um, they were both like Air Force people. Right. Right. So that's my impression. So, but New Zealand was vastly different. Um, Dad couldn't deal because of racism. He couldn't deal because he couldn't support the family. So he went back to Malaysia and got work there and sent money. Mum was a teacher. Right. You know what I mean? But we didn't, we weren't rich. We weren't hilarious. It's, you know, it was a struggle street. Yeah. But we got through. And so, you know how they always tell you like the lessons best learned are hard? Mm. Or best fought are hard. Right. You know, things were hard. Mm. wasn't easy. But um, I pride my mother on getting us through. And she was white. So, you know, mm. I got to speak to her later in life. And she, she sort of advised that she didn't let anything wear because she couldn't afford to. As a, as a white parent with Indian, like, she had people come up to her go, are these your children? Take, them, take us away. Mm. At supermarkets. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so... You know, she just didn't let it affect her. And I was wild as a kid. You know, like, I, I'm not sure I had ADD, but it wasn't diagnosed. Mum was the kind of person, oh, you've got ADD, here, here's, here's some Lego, which worked. Because now, if you give me a pack of Lego, I am a silent guru until it is complete. <laughs> um, because that's the other thing, too. I don't drink much anymore because I don't need to. I'm already bombastic mm. when I'm out with drum and bass. Generally, I try to be more calm but you know um so yeah christchurch was again coming to australia is again different how do you feel in australia being an ethnic kid coming from all of those backgrounds it's very different and the systemic racism was something i really had to get used to 
and the justification of that and then how they, they sort of carry through life. And it was a different flavor to Christ. Different, like complete, Christchurch, you're talking about the, was it Fourth Reich? And, Fourth Reich, but they left, right? And yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't like no one said stuff like they do here. No one really justified anything. It was just like, I don't like you because I believe this. Okay. Here it's very different. What was the racism like that your dad faced in New Zealand compared to what you faced when you came here? So dad was an Air Force lieutenant. Well, I was a left. I was a full colonel for the air, air traffic control, the Air Force. Now he went to the states and learned how to fly a plane. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't land a plane, um, so he, he couldn't become a pilot. Right. Um, only by a hair's net, though. Apparently, he just did this, like a dipped one and. Wasn't enough at the time. But anyway, right. he's done all this training. Under the examination. Yeah, under the examination. Anyway, right. he's highly decorated, like blah, 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 blah. Like the mm. guy, the man's, the man's a weapon, right? Yeah. Rocking the Indian mustache. Mm. <laughs> Never going to do it. Um, but he came here and applied for sort of avionics. Yeah. And they gave him a test. It was a stupid test. He didn't pass the test or whatever. And then they said, see you later. So he was just destroyed. Right. You know, this, this high military man just given the shaft for nothing mm. and it was it was i didn't understand but that, this now was in new zealand in new zealand yeah. yeah so he so when we first got there uh mom and dad operated a, a dairy right which is like your it's not like 7-eleven but your corner store mm. right milk eggs produce canned goods yada 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 ice cream yeah right so and they did that for a cu good couple of years and they were happy um we got held up by gunpoint so that was scary as shit um and I was in my pajamas and the guy came in. Do you know what they stole? Six bottles of milk and $25. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Wow. Double, a barrel, double barrel shotgun, sawn off shotgun. Whoa. Just heavy no, stuff. Like electronics or the no, obvious No, no, no. This is like in the 90s, man. Like, damn. Right. Um, so, yeah, dad, with that, and then, then they made the stupid justification, oh, for the children, we need to spend more time. And that's when everything went really difficult. They bought a house. Dad couldn't get solid work. Mum was just stressed. He left back to New Zealand. It was just her and, her and us. Mm. You know what I mean? So it was vastly different, but I didn't get the racism until high school. Like, you know, curry muncher, burnt mm. toast, mm. all that stupid shit. And by that point, I'd already developed the retorts, you know? You know? Oh, burnt toast. Oh, what are you then? Wheat bix. You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't phase me. Mm. Oh, is it your target on your middle of your head? You're going to come gunning for me, mate? Mm. Just... You know, the back and forth, I didn't care. Right. You get through high school and by the time you're, you're 17, 18, you've drunk with these idiots. All manner of stereotypes. The nerd, the jock, the brainiac. Yeah. We're all having drinks at the disco trying to tap girls because <laughs> boys are pretty much fundamental. Right. So I've got all these friends from high school from different areas because it's like time. It's like going to Vietnam, right? Mm. So, and you come through that. And I was DJing, you know, in the tail end of high school into the, my adulthood, into, into further study. So I saw these guys at the clubs most regularly. You come to Australia, it's so different. The, the people are clicky. They don't want to talk. They don't want to really, they don't want to give you too much. They want to give you a little bit and then it's a force field. You know, I mean, I, I'll go and talk to anybody just because I can. I'm sociable. COVID struck me a bit though. Mm. It pulled me back. Yeah. I wasn't as friendly. Took a while to get used to people again. I hate public transport, <laughs> but you have to do it. Mm. But yeah, Australia is very different. I don't know if your experience is the same. Have you had open racism or not? Yeah. Yeah. I've had um, all flavors. Yeah. All flavors. Like microaggression, casual racism, yeah. outright 
racism. Everything. Yeah, everything. I mean, seriously, like the first time I got here, Jethro and his ute turns up on a crosswalk and, you know, he called me a dune coon. And I was like, right. wow, out mm. of fucking nowhere, 2008 this was happening in the Gold Coast, right? Right. And it didn't affect me. I was just like, that's a new one. Yeah. And I'm like, I hadn't heard that before. I was waiting for like, go back to fucking India or some shit. Right. You know what I mean? Or go hold your whole gold of Muhammad's hand. Yeah. Sharia law, whatever the fuck that means. Um, why do they shout it? Is it, is it just like a thing? Uh, I don't know. I think it's often like for me as a cyclist, it's often like the passing car type thing. But shouting it, shouting it. I don't know. Like they're trying to force it at you. They're trying to throw it out there at you. It's like I have this thing I have to release. It's like, I the, don't know, it's do you know attention. what? I was at the hairdresser and one of the good lady was like, So do you sell in the, the Indian next door? So do you celebrate Christmas? Just like, come on, lady. Do you have to? Do you have to say that you have to ask him? Can you just say, Hey, have a good day? Rah, rah, rah. Far out. Do you know what I mean? Do your people? Do your people? No. What do you mean, your people? Like, right. Um, but just, just the level of stuff. Yeah. I mean, the worst case was people crossed the street at one point. But I looked like Easy e from MWA. Right. Well, I, I literally looked like that guy. Dark Ray-Bans, hat, yeah. white long sleeve shirt, black jeans, and <laughs> Osiris black and white kicks. Mm. I, and I was sh- I'm short. I'm not six foot. Yeah. So I'm, e- I'm, I'm Easy e in Australia. <laughs> and I, so like, I, like a couple crossed this, cross the street. I don't dress like that anymore. No, yeah. but, I, but seriously, just... The reality of how they perceive you is something that I'm got to get used to too. One of my more intense experiences was in Sydney and it's a complicated context because it's a warehouse party scene that is... That's a lot of people. From It is a lot of people and it's a multiple stage warehouse party scene that's also celebrating, I think it was the end of the Howard era. Like the oh, the wow. election had happened, so it was like this end big, of the hour. yeah. It was this big, big celebration. It was politically loaded, and um, I guess much much like what we've just experienced with old mate leaving. What was his name? Morrison. Morrison. Um, Morrison yeah. yeah, with Morrison um, getting booted out. Uh, I think there was that similar sort of optimism that there often is around <laughs> election change time, and like in, in you know in that British free party tradition um these are not legal parties and my involvement was mostly as a musician and i had my drum kit there and i was playing in a band and i was also supplying the drum kit for the live stage so there's multiple stages there's like a drum and bass space dss where i grew up on yeah neuro and drum and bass um there's a bunch of other stages all the, all of the other ones have have djs and then the stage that that we were involved in had a had a live band so that would really spin people out and usually these uh things they were called channel parties uh were held in abandoned warehouses and you um you get texted the address or you call up the number on the night and you go there yeah they had been starting to get pushed further and further out of out of the city but th- in this case there was an abandoned lot and uh they set up in there uh and i was i i think i performed i'd done my set i had my sister there that evening and um things were things were tense like you would get initially you would get like a 
small police presence and, and they wouldn't know what to do. But eventually they got organized with the, the riot squad. And it really felt like on that night that they were using the event to train or practice the riot squad because they amassed them for a long time. They, they waited out the front planning on a bonnet for some time. And then they came through sweeping in lines. I think I'd sent my sister with a friend to, to go to go home and leave leave that night but um yeah they came through sweeping in lines and just causing all kinds of havoc and and going through and this was many many years ago so i was still on the tail end of drinking and i think i had a, a beer like a glass in my hand and i was drinking and um these lines had come through and i think the live stage probably with my drum kit somewhere in the middle and some people playing on it was like the last remaining stage and people were sort of surrounding the musicians and the musicians were playing and the police were walking around trying to find out where the generator was plugged in or like how, where the sounds were coming from. And it's like, no, that's the drums and like, you know, that's acoustic <laughs> things and people shouting like there's no speakers anymore. <laughs> and so there was an element of humor there. But I think that moment was crushed where I was singled out by one of these Riot Squad dudes who just like, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm just like floating around. Like he wouldn't have even known I was a musician or anything. And he came up to me and he grabbed the, the glass bottle of beer, like just single, just target, like targeted in, honed right in on me, grabbed the, bo the bottle of beer and just like shoved it into my stomach, like almost like a punch or a shot. And I was like, whoa, okay. And I, I, I must've reacted and going like, what, what's, what's going on here? He says, um, get out of here. Get out of here, you black cunt. And like, I feel like I've got a pretty strong identity of being brown, like perhaps more so now, but definitely at the time. And in a rational way, I would know that that wouldn't affect me, but it really did. Mm. And like the mm. power levels words, hey? of it. Mm. Um, and despite that, I had sort of clocked the scene happening with the commander out the front and all that sort of thing. And then so I just marched straight up to the commander and told him what had happened. And I was like, your officer just just called me a black cunt. What's going on there? And then the officer tails and comes behind me and says, oh, he threw a bottle at an officer. And then and then the commander was like, no, nah, you're out of here, mate. It's like, I got my drum kit in there. I need to go and pack down. He's like, no, you're out of here. And just like kick me out. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I've, you know, I've got, got receipts. I told like half a dozen people, like people were just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I There's don't. no video, right? That, like, yeah, that's the thing. Like if you right. look at modern, but like, yeah. how was it, how was it effective though? If you look, if you think about it, right? Just to preface that, that experience, because yeah. that is horrible. Yeah. That is a shit experience. Like you got assaulted, you got verbally abused. Yeah. And then you got marched, right? With a made up. Made up story. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So the power that that has. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, but now, even if you're filming something, right? What, what effect did that, that man dying on camera? Yeah. You saw him die in America. Yeah. George Floyd. Yeah. Talking. yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I chose not to watch that, but yeah, no, no, no. The the reality is, George, who now, right? It it raised awareness for this bloom, and then it vanished. Mm. There are more deaths in schools and the and black the black black population of America. Yeah. it's disgusting, mm. and it just pops up and then goes away. Like what the? How was that effective? It's not effective at all. Yeah, our experience is horrible. We're marginalized. I'm not saying that we've got seven years of you know history. I'm saying I'm a human. 
I may be different colored, but you treat me like a human, not something else. Yeah. And that's the struggle. Yeah. I yeah. struggle with that daily, but I, I don't take myself too seriously because how can you? I'll have a heart attack. Mm, mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, that experience is horrible, Dylan. That is horrible. And I don't, I don't expect it's easy either. It's, it's not, and it's not even accurate racism, but somehow it just like, just completely took the wind out of me. And like, I was Physically like the shock too. of just it. Yeah. And, and like I had to text and call friends. It's like, oh, can you pack up my drums? Can you make sure you get this part, that part, that part? And I'm just like, just slouched and just like. You're defeated, right? Yeah. What are you supposed to do now? Yeah. What am I? And, and, and the whole, the whole 2020 time and the reflection and the action and the, re, the anger around that, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, there's that, it, it sort of made tangible that thing that I've been feeling, like this fear around the power dynamics around police. And just, I've met a few friends, a few, a couple of brownfella filmmakers in, in, in Brisbane, and both of them have been arrested in activism type scenarios. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I was like, like, what are you doing? We can't get arrested. Yeah, like, yeah. what you, have you ever been? No. Yes. No, oh, well, actually, I've been, I've been in, in the Watchtower and a couple of overnighters. Yeah. But just because I was pumped drunk when I was a kid. Right. Like, when I mean a kid, I mean like the legal age of drinking. But yeah. Just dumb shit. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just Christchurch dumb shit. Right. Just but sleep it police off, officers of. are pretty manageable at home. Mm. They weren't real cuntish. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I use that word liberally here because that's what they are here. <laughs> um, because they would just start to talk to you. They had a bit more training, I feel. There's like a human side to them. There is. Yeah. There is. And they, they really, some people, some of them really did care. I mean, yeah. some of them were just dicks. But hey, that's the stigma, right? But the training, the level of training that police have is disgusting. It's, mm. it's, in, it's incredibly inaccurate. Mm. I mean, we, there was a comparison between, I'm not sure, Switzerland or Iceland, where they have like months and psychological training to handle, you know, how to handle specific psychological situations. Yeah. Not just guns, shoot first, ask questions later. Mm. Um, almost like negotiation, understanding. And you just think, how does that person who's a police officer looking after my safety not have enough training and look at me and say, I'm a black cunt? Yeah. <laughs> it's mind blowing. Yeah. I, I'm lost, you know, I'm, and the other thing too, we become introverts because we don't want to be extroverts, you know, we don't want to be ourselves because if we're too black, what happens? Yeah. I, I did that for years. I would hide myself. I would just be very calm and unobtrusive, almost the background. Yeah. And is that also with the, with the whitewashing, like performing, performing whiteness, including casual racism to other... Well, f casual racism is funny to me. I just, I love that shit. It's just so stupidly funny. You know what I mean? Just, you know, you pay me now! It's just funny because it's funny. It's not being racist, it's funny. Because I'm not directing it at you. You're not the, the victim here. You're not the person. I'm just, I'm saying something that's supposed to lighten the mood. Mm. Even if it's for myself, you know? Oh, sorry, I gotta go on my Uber starts. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look at my postage van. But that's, the, but punching... Punching yourself or punching down is different to cliche. Yeah, what is the cliche, isn't it? It's stereotype. Yeah. It's a stereotype. It's a cliche. Stereotyping is, I guess it's kind of like punching sideways like other Asian people. But does that really help? Like, cause you th if, you, if you think about an East Asian person churning out like brown folk stereotypes, like, is that useful? Is that helpful? But it's, in it's, any it's, way? A, it's around. Do you know what I mean? So it's there. It's there. But is it? I'm not sure if it's helpful. Yeah. But who cares? <laughs> why, why, why do I have to worry? Do you know what I mean? I've got enough to worry about. 
<laughs> like the, the, the racism here is at the point where no one cares anymore, right? I've met about three, four different races now that have said, yeah, Australia is very racist. Yeah. And I said, how was the experience? And they said, well, I just got on with it. I said, okay, so have you justified being, being, being you know, looked at that way or approached that way? And they said, in a workspace environment, office work, yeah. the tropes were there even for them as looking at white people. So they were saying, you know, these stereotypes, what they would expect white people to do, they were seeing it and they were being looked at negatively, et cetera. So, what um, they would, so is that a, like making fun of white stereotypes? Yeah. So, angle? you know, the CEO is this and the manager is this and the people are this and all these people within like a team, there's all these stereotypes of white people. Right. So that was, and they were telling me about that. But is that with the entire management structure being white? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no ethnicity in upper management in a lot yeah. of these jobs. Yeah. And these ethnic people who, I've, who are friends mm. work in these environments and they're like coming. And so they're talking to us, other ethnic people, giving us these white tropes as stereotypes. So I was like, that's, that's pretty funny. Like the ethnic people making fun of the white people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I don't, I don't know what's positive that, to, to say punching other, other Asian people. But I don't, like the Asian people in my team... Yeah. make fun of themselves as well. We make fun of each other. So yeah. in my team specifically, I have two, I have, a, I have two Chinese, I have a, a Maori, a Dutch, uh, a Sudanese. The Sudanese guy is the funniest motherfucker in the world. <laughs> and he just doesn't care. Yeah. But I think if, if you have a culture of it. 100%. Then, yeah. But see, I don't just go to, to random people and start spouting shit right, right. but in in, but in in this podcast context this, it could be yeah. like you know it's just a recording of two brown folks in a room having a can, chat you yeah. know what I mean it's comfortable yeah. I, can, yeah. I can be like this mm. because I'm like this personally because mm -hmm. people shouldn't take me seriously yeah. unless we're having a serious discussion yeah. but I think um, like for folks who aren't white making fun of white stereotypes it operates within power structures so the entire management structure is white and uh, we live in a white supremacist and post or currently colonial world and legacy. And Amir Rahman's got this great skit of why he does, why he thinks, that, you know, he, he just like totally quashes reverse racism because of the colonial legacy. Yeah. So I think that I, I feel like that's different, like punching down, punching whatever direction towards white people for people that are non-white. Because, is fine. Because here's but the sideways thing, right? is, unless it's a group culture of it, it yeah, can be questionable. Okay, but basically, who am I going to say that to that I don't know? Mm. Right? There's this example that um, a joke, if uh, I drop my ice cream, gay. Right? Yeah. That's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay to say anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But a lot of my or friends... perhaps never was. Never was. Yeah. Fair enough. Right? Mm. But no one, no one was told in this, in this group, of, group of people. Yeah. And it took a while before that was discussed. Yeah. So now I would pull somebody up. Yeah. But if I'm being myself, right, I'm not harming anybody. And that's, that's the justification. Yeah. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not throwing bricks, burning crosses. You know what I mean? Going at somebody. I'm simply utilize, utilizing a, a humorous trope or a stereotype to describe something in conversation and in context. And that's, that's what I do. That's how I stem my comedy from and what I talk about and how mm. I talk and my being. Mm. The white racism and the whitewashing has taken a long time to disengage and untrain. That's something that's been hard. That's the, the casual ra racism that you learned from white folks? Well, it's not casual racism, I think, because I was never a casual racist until I got to Australia. Mm. That's when basically I would use their terminology to talk about the same people. So, because it was, it was normal, it was okay. Right. Um, 
but not in a nor- I'm, I'm, like at a pub setting, right? Yeah. You go and sit with a few of the boys, and everyone's having a bit of funny about all oh, the ragheads this or the you know harbajan that you know it just it's it's there, and you're going. I don't know. You have to tell me. It's there. It's there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Basically, they will just it's it's the everything is there. They describe every ethnic minority in a nickname or another. Mm. And then they would, you know, talk about stupid shit like Sharia law and bomb Agrabah. So I've, I've heard this described as like kind of, it's almost like my reflection on a recent description was that it's kind of lowest common denominator, like collectively um, men and men's attitudes in, in particular are progressing. But then when we're in these group group settings, we it's kind regressing. of regressing, we regress yeah. to like, I mean, I try not to. And perhaps I haven't pulled you up on casual racism things before, apart from my question of like, is it helpful Mm. because maybe I'm falling into that groove as well. And I'm not sure that it is, is helpful, but being someone that doesn't go to the pub with the boys, like I don't sort of have those kind of locker room type experiences so much. So you brought up an example of using the word gay in in an inappropriate way, which many of us have done growing up. Mm -hmm. You also said you find woke culture problematic. Like where is the, like, what do you see? Like appropriate versus I don't know. Woke I don't. I don't have an appropriation. I don't have a rule of thumb. I don't have a gauge. Mm. The thing is, that sometimes woke culture comes in such a ridiculousness um, aspect to me yeah. that I just find it frustrating. That's that's my point. Mm. I mean, it's great to be understand, but you know, you don't. I've got white people saying they're offended on my behalf. Like that's frustrating. I, 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 yeah, Do you know I, what I mean. I find that ridi- like when you're punching yourself. Yeah, yeah. That that to me speaks you know more I mean? to white fragility like, than work culture. I don't culture. know, man. Just just the the ta- like cultural appropriation and taking taking it to the ridiculous level. Yeah. Going back through time period, friends and saying it's offensive, being offended. Like digging into old tweets and that all kind of, that sort of stuff. Like yeah. it's just like how do these people have this time? Yeah. You know what I mean? And the disengagement from reality because it's not real. Mm. You know what I mean? Why am I worrying about that when there are other things to be worried about? Um, and I just, that, that's what I'm frustrated about. Because generally when I speak to somebody, I'm polite, I'm, I'm, I'm appropriate. But when I'm with my friends, it just all, has, it just all hangs out. Right. So I just don't give a fuck. Right. Because why should I? Mm. Right? If I want to be a douchebag, I can. But my friends are also douchebags in that context. But if I meet you, I'm going to be polite, I'm going to be appropriate, and that's it. And then until we get to know each other when it's okay to just sort of not care about so much shit. Because everything is, is now a problem. It's a, it's a lawsuit where waiting every, to happen. Where everything's recorded and every post lives right. forever. So yeah. every, every, everybody's got a phone. Everybody's going to be in an environment where shit's going to pop off. Yeah. They've just been in COVID for two years inside yeah. being trolls. Yeah. So now they've got to go back out and deal with people. Why? I can work from home. I can get my shit delivered. I don't have to worry about shaving and bathing and whatever. Right, it's a whole attitude structure. But me personally, yeah, I, I say shit. I don't care, only because all these comedians are getting in trouble for stuff that they're a comedian. Yeah. Like why is why are people taking stuff so seriously in, in a, a like a relationship context? Right. Okay. Fine. Male behavior is terrible. Right. The oppression of women because of males and how in that dominated environment is suck took me a while to get it but i'm there Mm. right but i'm not telling people hey you know go back to the kitchen right yeah i'm simply elaborating on a stereotype Mm. so my level of like how this feels is Mm. not super anxious and negative yeah um if i've called you a gook or a chink to your face that's 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 a line for me Mm. but 
You know, if I'm saying, you know, like making quoting a reference from a movie and it's very stereotypical, am I able to do that now or not? Because are you going to be are you going to be offended about that? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Different things from like there was a probably probably would be depending on my experience with those words 100%, and if I'm from that community. And exactly, right? Yeah. So now everything becomes this like highway of how the fuck do I get there? Hello. Why aren't you talking? Oh, I'm going to say something that's going to offend you or inappropriate. Mm. I can't talk. I'll just sit here and be quiet. But isn't that isn't that something like uh, a common male response to the Me, Me Too movement? They're like, "Oh no, I don't know what to do in the office now. I can't oh, say no. anything." No, but that's but that's basically <laughs> like, okay, if I if I talk to you and you give me a, a, a conversation that I'm going to say something honestly, yeah, because that's how I feel. Because mm. I'm allowed to feel a certain way because I have an opinion. Mm. You don't have to like my opinion, but you have to be able to let me discuss it mm. and have a discussion, right? And then tell me the bullet points of what's wrong and what's right. Yeah. Otherwise, how do I know? right mm. so and i'll tell i'll do the same so that this is the and a lot of conversations become personal attacks become the offense to defense yeah because your point isn't agreed upon or no one believes you or it just becomes stupid yeah my point is this you will learn and you will listen um no i disagree and that's where i get in trouble right because they, no one knows how to have a discussion right right do they how to handle conflict. How to, how handle, to handle conflict, how to handle a, a dispute, how yeah. to handle a, 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 an opinion contrary to theirs. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because, uh, okay, I'm being racist and you say, hey, you're Dave, you're being racist. I don't like that. Mm. Okay, fine. Mm. I, I acknowledge that you don't feel cool about that mm. and I, I apologize, firstly, and then you move on. Mm. That doesn't fucking happen. Right? Yeah, yeah. Defensive, personal attack. Right. Hebacool becomes a shit fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Does that happen to you at all? I you have to think about it like I I do like healthy debates and I, I like I like how like some of our discussions flow and like we do get into things and um I think I respond to that sort of energy or type of person that is up for that healthy debate and like you don't feel like oh I'm going to disown you or not speak to you for some 100%, time yeah, because it's, sort of it's, it's supposed to be a comfortable environment when you have a yeah. conversation right yeah, yeah. except for like a brand new conversation mm. if you have a conversation with someone that you know yeah. right we've raved together so now we know each other mm. right we've seen each other at multiple events yeah. we're comfortable mm. so I can say stuff to you that I'm not going to you're not, you're not going to go oh my god I'm just going to disown you yeah, yeah. or it's so dramatic yeah. it's just okay he said that. Yeah. This is how I feel about it. Yeah. Cool. Now I know how you feel about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, because mm. how else are you supposed to develop the discussion? How else are you supposed to further the relationship? Yeah. Yeah. But something that that I wanted to get into with you was if we think about, say, culture versus gender, like before you were talking about like needing to tick boxes on lineups and have certain yeah, representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But if, if we look at that, I think... I think what you're leaning towards there is, is largely a gender lens. Is that right? No. So basically now, right, before it used to be just these are DJs, yeah. male, female, watermelon, turtle, who cares? Yeah. Elephant. This, this elephant is DJing. Fuck yes. Because mm. you're a DJ. Yeah. You're not a girl or woman DJ. Yeah. You're not a man. You're just a DJ. Yeah. Why? Why the separation now? Okay. That's the first thing. I don't agree with that. If you're a DJ, you're a DJ. It's genderless. Right. It's colorless. It's full of music. But is that not like the, the I don't see color type line? It's not, not about that though, but because if you're, if you're a DJ and you're good at your job, then you should be in the lineup. But, but historically, if every or 95, 99% of DJs have been white men. I disagree now 
in this lineup scenario right now right now yeah but like that like right now doesn't happen in a bubble right like this, no no it's, no 100 it's working it's and, fed from that history yeah, it is but white djs yeah are white djs right you can't make it go away right yeah. that's that that's history sure so now how many lineups have a demographic with everybody on it now equally you're right have you noticed that um i'm not sure i'm not that plugged in but okay. I, I am seeing it change changing in in, in every gig there is now a demographic of equal proportion on drum and bass artists, right? Which is great. With a gender lens. Gender, well, just every lens. You could be trans, you could be, sorry, gender lens, yes. Less, could, so, less so than cultural. Like I'm not seeing 50 no, 50. No, there's no cultural at all, but yeah. like gender, okay. so gender equal. Gender, well, well let's say, partial. Let's say there's gender diversity representation. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So, but this is the question I referred to before. Yeah. Right? If you're supposed to be the baddest motherfucker. Yeah. But you're on a you're on a fly that I have to pay for, and you're there for what reason? At this point, the discussion I was having with Matt Schizoid yeah. was that some of these people are being picked because they're this or that, right? Not because they're a good DJ, yeah, yeah. And that's what's the frustration. But do, do you not not think there's like this sort of push and pull element of that, um, which kind of like a chicken chicken and the egg sort of thing, where without having that history of more gender diverse folks let alone culturally diverse folks having that chance to get on sound systems and get on spaces and having the experience of something bombing on stage and being able to learn from that and thus become a killer dj yeah but then if so you've 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 booked a terrible person to play mm. and you're justifying it by charging me 40 bucks but not necessarily not necessarily terrible but like you know that no, what but that's what i'm saying yeah opportunity to bomb that's fine do it yeah but consistently on a on a flyer or a lineup and you're not a good dj but you're being picked for a reason that's not because you're a good dj mm. that's flawed right i'm i'm torn about it because i have i also look at that in in filmmaking and in like so f black and brown folks in film that haven't been given a chance to get up there get opportunities get big budgets and fail and make mistakes and learn from them. I feel like that is as an essential part of becoming great and becoming good. Okay, here's a, here's a here's a very business minded and not my personal opinion. Yeah. If I'm in a business of making a movie, sounds like you're going into devil's advocate here. Yeah, a little bit. Right. If I'm in the business of whatever, right? Yeah. And I want to make money. Yeah. And I've seen some stuff, and I want. I, I think this 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 thing is going to give me this thing. Yeah. And I'm going to back it. And, I, and it fails. What happens to me? Because I've just put everything I've had into this to succeed and it fails. Yeah, yeah. And you're telling me it's okay to fail, fine. Yeah. And I, it, it takes the failure to become great at, who, at whose cost, not theirs. Right. Right? Financially. Yeah. It cost mentally and you bombed. Nobody wants to bomb. Yeah. But in this day and age of you have to succeed very quickly, right? There's right. no chance to develop. Right. Um. How does that sit? In business, you could say that all profit is derived from risk. So if there's not risk involved, like you, you, you would need to risk yourself on some driver car app that's never been seen before and be a seed fund venture capitalist investor into something that has never been created before. I feel like we're in, in, in many industries in many ways, like there's been some 
eye-opening moments in the last couple of years and a, a changes of different lenses that people are looking through and we're in this awkward transition period of yeah you know you do need to have like a BIPOC filmmaker grant or you do need to have like opportunities or maybe a workshop like for like using these using these production decks and like it sort of comes from there and there might be this sort of awkward period of like Oh yeah, things are a bit uh, there, but oh, you know, in my instance, I never knew I could be a drum and bass DJ till I saw you doing it. Yeah, yeah. And no, so, but, if but you're that, not that, seeing yourself out 100%, there, hundred percent. But that's but that's a white that's a white letter, right? We, uh, I'm being I'm being me now. We're in a white letter society, right? The, like white dominant. White people have done everything, right? Yeah, that, right. That's built where, the systems. They built the systems. Right. They run it. They own it. They operate it. They invest it. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like we don't have. We, it's policy changes. Yeah. Who's doing that? Yeah. Who's who's giving us infrastructure to help with anything? Who owns the club? Creatively, you know, who, yeah, everything, man. Yeah. Like we don't have anything. Yeah. Right. So, again, from that track, like there's no place for you to fail anyway. Right. And the problem is that it's not a failure society, right? They love winning. Yeah. You're supposed to be a winner. Right. Go team. Is that is is that another layer to your kill or be killed background? Where no, not at all. No? But that's this is how life appears to me. Right. It's a very win win orientated. Hmm. And at the moment, there's a lot of stuff pushing against that. Hmm. Be comfortable with who you are. You don't have to win participation awards. Right. Stuff like that. Right. Good to a point, but then what happens? For severe competition, that participation trophy is killer. It destroys it. And I hear, I hear this sports analogy a lot. Like, there's got to be a winner and a loser for a reason. Right. You've got to be hungry to come back and be a winner again. It's a very male, white opinion, but serves a purpose in the theory of competition. I, I look at Michael Jordan for that, okay? Right. So, for, as a reference, there's all these analogies on sports and winning and all the rest of it, but that's how culture, the Kardashians have no talent, but they're winners. They influence the worldwide. <laughs> Right? Yeah. How is that even a thing? The American yeah. dream is pollution. Yeah. It's very and like co-opting black beauty and black yeah, all that. <sighs> Don't even get me started on yeah. that. Yeah. You know, white people painting themselves brown to look black. Mm. What the hell? Mm. But this is our reality. You know what I mean? So, you know, I have to play a game at some point, which is shit, but I have to play the game. I have to go to work, I have to pay my taxes, and I have to deal with white people. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, but it's just like so you know yes I am a racist I, I say that <laughs> and I say dumb shit but deep down <laughs> deep down I, 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 I try to help where I can and I will stand up for people and I have done in the past and I have done in the I will do in the future um, because some, some things are not okay especially in a distant environment but I don't feel like a lot of peeing, people are being very obviously oppressive or negative or racist. Hmm. It's like micro and casual. It's micro and casual and like, you know, oh, we've got, we've, we've got a darkie on our team now. What the fuck did you just say? That gets said. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Right. So, oh, no, she's a bit feisty to women. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Like, it's just all there. And you're going, fuck, I've, I've pulled up people for that. Mm. You know? Um one of my colleagues, who's as Australian as can be, um, he is the most racist. And he tries to be funny about it. People tolerate it. But I pulled him up, you know, and said, look, mate. You and need he to. is culturally diverse. No, he's white. He's oh. white Australian. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. But he understands he was in the wrong, which I found awesome. 
and he is trying to get himself out of uh, sales by learning a master's of teaching. Right. He's got three kids, you know, as awkward as, goes fishing, got a boat, mm. drinks VB. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know what I mean? For that to change, that's the career salesperson there and he's trying to get out of it. He's trying to better himself. So that opportunity is there for them. Right. You know, the white people. Um, because the, the brown people don't have a voice for a lot. You know what I mean? Coming to Australia, seeing the racism and the, 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 the way that the Aboriginal people have been treated here. Mm. It's vastly different to the Maori people. I mean, Maori's yeah. got nailed as well, but come yeah. on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean we're not, and the same with every indigenous peoples have been oppressed by a, a stronger force and they're usually white. You know what I mean? Mm. So that, and, and people say history and you're being this, you're being that, stop, you know, it's not that everyone's equal, blah. And they just, you know, gesture it off. That's the worst, I think. Mm. I mean, that's what I can't take. You mentioned space for brown voices is not often heard, but um, thank you for adding yours today, David. Fuel Nicole. to the fire, to be honest. Yeah. Like we really got, we got some places. Yeah. hope you enjoyed this conversation i mean if you made it this far i'm just gonna assume that you did so feel free to share with a friend and subscribe to catch the next one